and welcome to Secrets to a Financially Healthy Life, a video podcast series brought to you by Quilter. In this series, we focus on the importance of financial advice in helping you navigate every stage of your life and your career. I'm your host, Jane Constantinis, and in these episodes, we're going to be hearing from both Quilter's own experts and a range of external guests to give a holistic overview and some practical advice on how to manage and achieve a healthy financial life for you and your family. In today's episode, we're discussing the ins and outs of retirement. Is retirement perhaps something we don't consider until we realise it's not too far away? And what can you do to ensure you and your family remain financially secure once you've retired? We'll also be focusing on what other considerations you should have separate from the financial side before you take the leap into that next stage in your life. My two guests today are Jonathan Greer, Head of Retirement Proposition at Quilter, and Stuart Trow, columnist, writer, financial coach and pensions expert. Welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you for having us. I wonder if we could start with some brief introductions, please. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. John. Um, so I've been working in the pensions industry for about 20 years uh, and working for, for Quilter um, for the majority of those. And my focus is um, on pension schemes, how they run. Um, also, I speak to the regulators quite often um, and I help try and help advisors with their clients uh, to get good, good outcomes for retirement as well. Thank you. Stuart, what about you? Yeah, my, my career journey started at Sun Life in pensions on their graduate trainee scheme, then evolved into investment strategy and spent 35 years um, with various firms. And most recently, that was at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. Uh, today, though, I'm a, a wealth columnist for Bloomberg and the Washington Post. I'm, I also run the pensionman.com financial education and coaching um, business and I'm a co-host of the Money 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 personal finance show on Switch Radio UK with my wife. Mm. So we've got 55 years of experience in the <laughs> pensions business. Plenty, I, think, yeah, I think we've chosen the right guests. Thank you very much. Um, I wonder if we could start by talking about how things have changed in terms of perceptions, particularly from the previous generation to, to this generation. Stuart, what's your experience of that? Well, I think in the past, pensions were always an income. Whereas today, you're kind of, most people are left with a, a lump sum and basically told to get on with it. So they're facing the investment risk, they're in facing the um, inflation risk, which is very sort of relevant today. And they're also facing things like longevity and stuff like that. And they're also perhaps another couple of uh, considerations that they, they're not maybe as aware of things like now there's no longer a mandatory retirement age they have to make a conscious decision to unplug themselves from their jobs and the regular paycheck and even when they get to the end of that when they're preparing for retirement very often the way company pension schemes are set up at the moment is that they have to then transfer away again um, to be able to draw down on their pensions and that's often something people aren't expecting or aren't aware of. It sounds much more complicated than it used to be, is it? I, th I think it is, yeah. I think you've touched on, Stuart, that it can seem quite daunting. Uh, 
because you know historically like you say we had defined benefit pensions and you didn't really have to think too hard about it yeah. you, you probably knew fairly accurately what you were going to get when you were going to get it as well and the decisions around that were, were pretty much made for you you didn't have any of this sort of yeah. understand that about you know sequencing risk and investment returns and all that sort of stuff it was basically done for you now today we've got a case where probably about 20 percent of the workforce are accruing some form of defined benefit still but probably 17 percent of those are in the public sector so there's only three percent of the workforce in the private sector are still sort of accruing these defined benefit pensions so the majority are actually occurring these defined contribution pots where you've got a pot of money at the end and you've got to work out what, what you do with it. So there's there's distinctly some more considerations I think people have to, to deal with now. Mm. Sounds like we have to take more control and be more proactive, which can for some people sound scary. It, absolutely. And that, that's, a, that's a tricky thing, isn't it? I mean, where do you start? I mean, this big subject seems so large and... If you've never really thought about those sort of long-term finances before, it, it's it's a minefield. You know, what, what do I do? And then you come to that point where you go, I'm just not going to do anything because it just <laughs> seems so scary at all. Yeah. And um, I think that there's, when I look at this, I think there's there's probably three considerations to start off with. And the first two are financial, you know, you know, what do I, what do I actually need? You know, mm. then what have I got? those sorts of things and the final one is generally the emotional thing about what the heck am I going to do with my time in yeah. retirement as well and how do I go through that and I think that the final one is something that people don't tend to focus on so you know the, the first one is what do I need I, I'd say that um, just start off with maybe a bad budget planner so look at your your essential expenditure you know what do I definitely need to cover and then you can look at your discretionary expenditure as well and there's lots of free online planners to help mm. with that sort of stuff so will the back of an envelope do well you could do whatever you like as long as you start that is the main <laughs> thing start. is that thank you've you. got to start yeah. somewhere thank you um so if you're daunted just start mm. you know with everything you know which seems a bit tough just starting is the main thing so once you get going you'll be fine john um, can i can i pause you there because i want to tackle the emotional um hurdles or, or barriers and you're quite right it's it's mixed up isn't it with all sorts of other elements and when you say what do you need you have to start thinking about things like care don't you and health and so on this is right i mean i think it's it's an area of retirement that people might think they've spent enough time thinking about but but rarely that it, it seems to be further down the list of the actual financial considerations so we see a range of people and we talk to a range of people who might come to retirement and they will either decide, you know, I'm going to gradually just move away from work. And and by doing so, they can make their retirement pot last longer, etc. And especially when they're thinking about, you know, how, how old is my partner? When are they retiring? As, you know, it's quite a big consideration, especially if there's a few years between you. So one might retire and the another partner might be continuing to work. Now, that's an interesting dynamic in themselves, especially from day to day. Because the person who's retirement might think, you know, retirement's going to be like a weekend every day. Mm -hmm. But rarely it can become quite lonely. Now, this happened to a friend of mine um, a couple of years ago. He retired. And I remember speaking to him and saying, well, well, what are you actually going to 
do with your time? He said, oh, I don't know, John. I, I, I'm probably just going to watch the cricket on Sky and I'll go and see a few cricket games and I'll be fine. I said, well, OK. And I'm sort of trying to introduce, you know, there's a bit more to it than that. And his, his wife was yet to retire for a few years anyway. Um, and he, he rang me about three months into retirement. And he said, John, do you mind if I come, come here? can I come and speak to you? I said, yeah, no problem. You know, we'll meet up. So we went and met up anyway. And uh, he said, you know, I was, I was in the dentist. And he said, I, I came over and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I was, uh, and he said, I went and he said, I wasn't, but I went to the doctor and I had anxiety. <gasps> I had anxiety about I've, I've been retired. I now don't know where I am. You know, I came from, I literally worked, worked, I stopped and I went into retirement. And I didn't understand the impact that would have on me mm. on because my work was kind of where I anchored myself mm. in the world. Identity. Yeah. This is it. And he said, now all well, I'm in charge of is saying going to do the Sainsbury's shopping, which other supermarkets <laughs> are available they are to say, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, there is a whole element to this. And as you said, it, it isn't necessarily just income in the immediacy mm. as well. I mean, social care funding is a tricky piece and it's something, you know, the government still hasn't sort of agreed on yet. Um, and so and care funding is difficult because you don't necessarily know how much it's going to cost. And hopefully the government's going to come forward with a few more plans there, but it hasn't quite fixed that one yet. Yeah. And Stuart, what, what's, uh, what examples have you got for us of, of people who haven't addressed the emotional aspect of retirement? Yeah, I mean, well, we spoke about uh, partners and spouses, you know, they may, they will have their lives, whether that's working or, you know, even if they're not working, they've got a, they've got a life. They don't, they haven't just been sitting around waiting for you to retire necessarily. But I mean, one slightly unexpected thing that's come up with a few of our clients is that uh, the children, especially if they're not completely independent, you might find that, you know, perhaps they're still relying a bit on bank of mum and dad for a little bit you know to make the rent or stuff like that um, so it sounds as if your advice is yes find out um, what you've got obviously work out what you need but also make some actual tangible plans mm. for how you're going to fill that time and and, and get some fulfilment into your life. But the children thing is quite interesting, isn't it? Because again, this is, a sh this is slightly shifting, children being dependent on the parents for longer. Is that something you're seeing? Definitely. We, we are seeing now, um, especially when we speak to financial advisors, is that they are now not just advising a single person in the family. It's now becoming a, a family advice service. Um, it's happening more and more. Now, the thing which um, they have said that overcomes is, is that when they ask the family, um, do you, you know, do you discuss your financial affairs, etc., or do you think it's important? About seventy percent say we think it's really important that everybody knows and we plan together. However, only fifty percent ish, maybe a bit lower, are happy to do so. And, and often it's it's about having an independent person who's sat between all of them, who has their best interests all at heart. And it kind of takes out some of the emotional side yeah, of these things. And I think that's quite key, because if you don't have that almost, I don't want to say barrier, but if you don't have that neutral person there, you, you tend to fall into historics, <laughs> you know, you're not very good with money or I'm not trusting you with this, etc. all that mm. sort of thing. But actually having that person in the middle we've found is incredibly useful and actually makes the family wealth go further. And of course, then there's the sandwich generation. 
Um, it sounds like you, John, are, I definitely am a you, Stuart, sandwich generation. Yeah, very much. But um, because, you know, obviously sort of parents getting to the age where they'll need care and it really helps if they're part of the conversation. So, for example, in my own situation, um, my mother is really happy to talk about these sort of things. So it's it makes it so much easier to sort of think well you know if she does need care who's going to provide that and who's going to finance it and, and equally in terms of things like inheritance and uh, stuff like that often that skips a generation as well so very much the sandwich generation in the middle but it does mean grandparents are in a good position to help grandchildren perhaps at the stage where they really do need the help rather than because people are living longer you know, hopefully they'd be financially secure by the time their parents uh, pass on. So. Mm, mm. But, yeah, you're looking at, at both the, the two pieces of bread, aren't you? What, what would be your practical uh, advice, John, for obviously having that conversation with a, with a neutral third party is helpful? What else? So, um, so specifically, um, things like power of attorney, really useful. So if people are going to be looking at... Um, especially the sandwich generation when you've yeah. got older parents as well. But even they need to start thinking about who's going to look after my affairs if I, if I can't act. And you can put a power of attorney in place, which means that somebody can act on your behalf and you, you're not then falling back on sort of a, a, total, a third party, effectively, court of protection to determine who does what. And it takes yeah. time and all those sorts of things. So I would say initially, you know, power of attorney is a really good idea there, especially when you're looking at your retirement planning or even even before then, to be honest, to a certain extent. Wills are really important too and often get forgotten until the very last moment. And that's probably too late or getting too late. Yeah, with, with wills, it's it's such a cruel thing to die without a will because it's a complete... Because nobody is empowered to um, to look after your affairs you know you'll get demands for mortgage payments for bills and stuff like that and and it can be quite distressing if you haven't got access to the to the money to pay the bills then you know the money might well be there and it it can take a very long time indeed to sort out um you know a grant of probate and get to get to that stage you don't even get to the starting line if you haven't got uh, somebody to act on your behalf in your will as you've said earlier, though, that's it's another one of those things that people prefer not to face up to yeah, because it can it can be emotionally rather upsetting, can't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. People don't like to contemplate their no. own mortality. No. Kind of, yeah. So let's let's be practical um, again for a moment. So some people listening to this who are thinking, oh, I probably need to <laughs> face this and uh, get on with a few things. Um, people perhaps at a slightly earlier stage than, than, than we are in their careers. Really practical, really tangible. What should they do today? John's already spoken about the need to sort of understand what you've got and what's available to you. And I mean, I think procrastination is the big sort of killer of financial wealth building but the the other aspect i think that you, you know many people with the auto enrollment many people are actually accumulating pensions but the one thing that really holds things back especially for younger people is sort of reckless caution if you like for younger people or people with several decades to retirement they can afford to take the risk because of the market crashes off well they'll get most of the money they'll be investing over their lifetime will be 
later in life than what they've got already and, and if it carries on up well you know so much the better so th- so they can afford to take that risk and sometimes people are very very cautious and sort of almost guaranteeing that they'll have negative real returns mm. is that a phrase you're familiar with as well john reckless yeah. caution yeah absolutely i think p- people generally are they don't like to lose money they hate losing money more than making money i think is, is generally the yeah, feeling well, I think that's um, a, certainly a behavioral finance thing definitely so, yeah. i mean it, when you say say practical things I think there's four steps I would take. So the first step, uh, as I said earlier, would be to find out what income you think you'll need. And as I said, that's quite, it's quite a, you've got lots of tools out there. The next one is just track those pensions down. That's the main thing. You can do that through the DWP website. There's a tracing service on there. You can Google it. And in the future, again, you can have this pensions dashboard where it makes it very easy for you to do that. When is that um, likely to come in? So the pensions dashboard, we're we're feverishly building it at the moment. Um, So I would estimate that it will be available to the public probably in about a year or so's time. But there'll be be a big public campaign around that anyway. So people can then go online, go and get their pensions and hopefully start engaging with them. Now, that sort of dashboard will give you an idea of what you've got and the income that you can expect from that pension too. Now, that's going to help you with with working where you are in relation to what income you need. The third step I would look at is, um, do I have to make any decisions with those pensions? And by that, I have your defined benefit ones are probably, you know, all you need to know about is when are they going to start to be pay you and you'll know how much. So that's quite an easy one. Mm. It's your defined contribution pot, you know, what, and you'll have to make a decision about what you're going to do with it. And there's a broadly a range of options that you can do. You know, you can take it all out as a lump sum. You can take it as a gradual, a gradual income. You can just take it from the fund. You can use the entire fund to buy what's called an annuity with like an insurance company which will provide you for an income for life. So you don't have to worry about any of the investment stuff. You just give them a lump sum. They will say, right, we will give you, I don't know, for example, you might give them £100,000 and they'll say, we're going to give you £7,000 a year for the rest of your life. And, and that's that's it. You don't have to worry anything more about that and that you will get always get that. But every one of these options, the income will be taxable. That's yeah. one thing that a lot of people forget. You'll be subject to income tax on it. So that's quite a key point there. And I, I guess the, the last thing I would say is, is just try and bring that all together in a plan and bring, to, bring your, being your partner in on that plan too. Uh, and I'd say if you're still unsure, there's guidance services and there's financial advice out there as well. I think broadly speaking, um, but th- they say about 30% of people go and get financial advice. I'm not entirely sure it's that high. I think 30% <laughs> say they, sh- they, they do, yeah. but... A lower figure probably does. I think more people should. I think generally they go and seek financial advice when something has gone wrong. Mm. That's sometimes a little bit too late. There's a limit to what you can do at that point in time. So You're nodding there, Stuart. Is that your experience as well? They only seek advice when it's too late. Um, yeah, I mean, so, sometimes it's a case of the point at which the people start to engage. So, you know, as a financial coach, for example, and, and I'm sure it's pretty similar for financial advisors as well, uh, key demographic seems to be 50s. You know, late 40s, you get some people and early 60s as well, you get people. But uh, that's when people start to turn 
just having been on autopilot with their company pension schemes into sort of thinking more proactively about it. Because, you know, some of the challenges like, you know, state retirement ages, you know, it's going to rise 67, be 68 uh, before too long. And, and so a lot of people will have a gap to fund between stopping work or stopping full time work and actually sort of being in receipt of an income in the form of state pension. So they'd have to think how they fill that gap. And sometimes it isn't even with pensions. It can be with ISAs, which are tax-free income, which, are, you know, alludes to what John was saying about being careful about income the taxation status of pensions because all the people get the impression that because you get tax relief making contributions to pensions and you can get your 25% tax free cash sum that somehow all the rest of it is tax efficient but it's uh, it's absolutely not so if you draw large lump sums you could easily find yourself being a higher or 45% taxpayer just because you've drawn down money for an extension or a you know a holiday mm. And I was going to say, I think you touched on the state pension there. I think people, for the majority of people, it will make up a large portion of their retirement yes, income. Yeah. So they need to go and find out where they are with that. You can go and uh, ring the pension service. Uh, so there's a, there's a number on the, the gov.uk website. Um, and you can ask them for where you are in terms of how much you've accrued towards your state pension. Um, generally, you need 35 years of national insurance contributions to pay them to get a full state pension. The full state pension currently is about £9,600 a year. The government's just announced a, you know, a 10% increase. People would have probably seen that in the press. It's t- they call it the triple lock. It's this increase this mechanism they increase it each year. It's going up to 10600 from next April. It's a sizable amount of money. Mm. You need to go and check, see where you are. It's like the majority of people probably really haven't checked, you know, you know, how much have I accrued in, on that journey so far? I'd say to do that. And those people who don't accrue a full state pension, there's always other things that they might benefit from. So there's things like pension credit for those people who are on low, um, sort of have, have, have low savings or low income, etc. There's other things like housing benefit too for those people who are renting, but not enough people claim for benefits which they're entitled to especially around retirement so pension credit has historically not been claimed by enough people there's lots of people who are who should be making claims and it doesn't happen automatically so if you're in doubt i would say phone Mm. that phone call could be worth some money and it's worth doing so so that's what i would say where do we go you did say but please repeat where we go for that information so the pension service Mm. um if you Google it again. It's on the Gov UK website. Yeah. Um, so there's one called the Future Pension Service, which will help you understand what you've got. Um, you've also got uh, telephone numbers through the pension service, which you can discuss. You know, what have I accrued? You know, do I qualify for additional benefits? All those sorts of things. So I would go there. There's lots of really useful information on the Gov website. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you, what is the one piece of advice you'd want to give people in this podcast? But I think you've just done it. Is it that? <laughs> I, I guess for me, it's um, try and start as early as possible with this stuff. Now, if you wanted a moderate retirement, something you know, where you're going to be sort of receiving about t- mid-20s in terms of income, you know, a proportion of that will be made up of your, your state pension. But what, what, you've, what you've then got to consider is, you know, how am I going to make up that difference? Now, if you start when you're 25, that'll probably cost you about £250 a month through your working life. If you then 
say, well, okay, I'm not going to do that now. I'm going to wait till I'm 35. If you wait till you're 35, it's probably going to cost you about £450 a month to make up that difference. If you wait until you're 45, you're up to £900 a month you're going to have to fund. So I would say start as early as possible and then it brings the costs right down. The, the longer you delay doing it, you know, the more expensive it's going to come. But but don't bury your head in the sand. You know, you know, it's, yeah. you know that you, I think we mentioned earlier, didn't we, Stuart, that, you know, you can, you can still make a difference at any particular point, but don't, don't get so worried that you just don't do anything. Yeah. Stuart, what's your one golden piece of advice for today? Well, I mean, I think, I think the main thing is to sort of be investing in a, regularly in a tax efficient manner you know so regular savings into pensions is by far and away the best way to build wealth not just for retirement but you know regular savings into products like ISAs and stuff like that you don't think too much about it coming out of your bank account every month if you if it's become a habit and you're used to doing it uh, it's more difficult to suddenly start you know mid-career and perhaps you've got a family and a mortgage and stuff like that so and also you know like john was saying it takes the pressure off because the the nominal sums you have to pay each month are lower the earlier you start well sadly that's all we've got time for thank you so much uh, Stuart and John for your time today such an informative chat I think the key things I've taken away are the importance of just making a start and how crucial it is to involve the whole family unit in any discussions around retirement and how valuable it can be to get some expert advice in facilitating those conversations. Thank you all for joining us today for Secrets to a Financially Healthy Life, brought to you by Quilter. If you'd like to find out more about Quilter, everything you need is at quilter.com. I'm Jane Constantinis. Thank you so much for joining us. 